This is a podcast from Delancey Elim Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 in the Delancey Elim Church building at Le Bank St. Samson in the Channel Islands of Guernsey. To contact us or to find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk. great to be in the presence of God, isn't it? To rest in his presence, to know that he loves us and that he cares for us, to, to be able to say that he is Lord of our lives. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, these past few weeks we have been looking at men and women in, in scripture and today we're coming to the end of uh, our series, teaching series, Women of Grace. Uh, we've journeyed through the Lives of Rahab, of Mary, of Ruth, of Bathsheba, and today the final woman we're looking at is Tamar. All these women are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, in the realm of Scripture, are important. Uh, As you know, Scripture is very masculine, and and it is men that were mentioned and written down in, in in the Word, and then... There are some women mentioned, and it's, it's, it's important to know that in this genealogy of Jesus Christ, these five women are mentioned. So that is why I've, I've grasped hold of this, this teaching series, to see what we can learn from these five women. What is God telling us? And why were they included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Looking at their lives, we, see, we have seen the will of God break through. God breaks into their lives in an incredible way. God breaks through and through them, these women on the outside could have and would have looked and been seen as against God, as, as uh, women that are on the, the outskirts of society. Rahab was a prostitute. Uh, Mary became pregnant out of marriage. Ruth was a foreigner and slept at the feet of a man. Bathsheba committed adultery. And Tamar who we're going to look at today, also was a prostitute. Quite a mixed bunch of women. In fact, unlikely women to be mentioned, let alone chosen to be in the genealogy, in the line of David and of Jesus Christ. Their stories are inspiring. And they can teach us many lessons for us as followers of Jesus. What do their stories tell us? How do they resonate in our lives? What can we take from, away from their life stories? What challenges and what encouragements can we learn from them? These are the things that um, I love to bring out when I'm preaching, when I'm teaching. What is God saying to us? You know, whenever someone gets up here to speak, what is God saying to us? God would have something for each and every one of us. I, these words should not fall to the ground. They are words from the, from the Lord. So let's listen and be encouraged about what we can learn about Tamar's story. And so we're going to read her story. Who's heard a sermon on Tamar before? That's what I thought. Okay, so we're going to read about Tamar. It's not a river in Cornwall, what it is. But uh, we're going to read about Tamar 
and her life. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 38 and find out about this woman. Genesis chapter 38. It begins by saying, At that time Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hirah. There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and lay with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was, a, it was at Kazib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for her, her firstborn, his firstborn rather, and her name was Tamar. So Tamar enters the scene, the story. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, lie with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to produce offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he lay with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from producing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so he put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend Hira, the Adulamite, the Adulamite went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Eniem, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Sheila had, not grown up, had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, What pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adumalite, in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is, this, where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road to Enaim? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there said, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has or we will become a laughing stock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. 
As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Sheila. And he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, she, there were twi- twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand, so the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew his, back his hand, his brother came out and she said, so this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. Then his brother, who had a scarlet thread on his wrist, came out and he was given the name Zerah. And then if we go to Matthew chapter 1, we will see the entry in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Where it says in verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So through Tamar, Perez is born and the line of David, the line of Jesus Christ, is, remains intact. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, for your truth. And Lord, as we look at the life of Tamar this morning, a a tragic story, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, through that we will see your message to us. What are you saying to us today? What is your challenge for us today? What are you encouraging us in today? What are you reminding us of today? What revelation can we receive today? So Lord, I pray your anointing and your blessing on your word today, in your awesome name. Amen. Tamar's story is a disturbing story. And one that, as I started today, cannot remember a sermon being preached on. So it's been quite a challenge, I must admit, it's been quite a challenge to do a sermon on it. But I believe God has showed me something great for us to learn from her story. The theme of the story is is not a comfortable one. It is a tragic tale of a woman who is dealt an awful series of circumstances. So what can we possibly glean from her story? Tamar's life is an amazing demonstration of God's grace. Through the unlikely union of Judah and Tamar, greatness comes. And we see that no matter the mistakes that we make, they do not dictate the outcome of our lives. Never let your mistakes dictate the limitations that you can achieve through Christ. God's grace really is capable of bringing victory out of disappointment, out of heartache, out of sin. So let's have a look at this story we've read here in in a little bit more detail. When Ur was killed, this left the young woman, Tamar, and she would have been a teenager, very young. When Ur was killed, this left her widowed and childless. A desperate situation in those days. She had left her family and now she had been joined and united 
She was one flesh in, in, the, in, the, in the family of Judah. And ancient cultures had a tradition called Levite liberate marriage that protected childless widows from poverty and destitution. According to this custom, one of the dead man's relatives could claim his estate, marry his widow, take care of her and father children for her. So in keeping with custom, Tamar married Ur's brother, Onan. But he also did what was displeasing in the sight of God and died. Which put Judah's third son, Shelah, next in line. At this point, Judah saw a pattern. Two sons married Tamar and promptly died. But according to the scripture, according to the Bible, according to the story, they died as a result of their own evil. evil. It's nothing to do with Tamar. But yet, Judah decides that he's not going to give his third son in fear of him dying. He was afraid that he would suffer the same fate as Ir and Onan. He wasn't very eager in doing, giving his son Shelah. So Judah surveyed the situation and found a convenient loophole in the custom. Shelah, the third son, was too young to marry. So Judah approached Tamar with a compromise. He said, in effect, until Shelah is old enough to marry you, conduct yourself like a grieving widow and live with your father and wear the customary widow's garments and reject all other proposals of marriage. Don't worry I'll take care of you in due time. It sounded reasonable on the surface and helped Judah maintain his honourable public persona. But it was a vow, I believe, that Judah never intended to fulfil. He hoped everybody would forget the agreement as the years passed. Well, eventually Sheila grew into adulthood, adulthood and became eligible for marriage. Meanwhile, Tamar had faithfully fulfilled her part of the agreement. But Judah, so, Judah still showed no signs of honouring his promise. In fact, when Judah's own wife died, he could have fulfilled his obligation to Tamar by marrying her himself. But he did nothing. And by this time, Tamar found herself in a very vulnerable position. She was older, with fewer childbearing years left she would not have had the same opportunities for marriage as before if her father died she would have no means of support so she decided to take matters into her own hand into her own hands and this was when we find out that each spring wealthy men left their homes to personally oversee the harvest of war and to enjoy a time of celebration. Wine, wool and women put rich men in an agreeable mood. So if you were going to collect a debt or ask someone to fulfill an obligation, this was the time, this was the place. But Tamar didn't, Tamar didn't intend to ask Judah for anything. She knew better than to rely on his integrity. Instead, she planned to give Judah a dose of his own deception. She took off her widow's clothes, dressed herself like a temple prostitute. 
These, uh, look, I, I looked up and researched this. The, the Canaanite sheep shearing festivals often involved cultic prostitution and pagan rituals to enhance fertility for the coming year. And Tamar knew Judah and he knew, she knew his habits. So she sat in the gateway of a little town near the shearing festival. Knowing Judah would be there. In those days, influential men of the community sat near the main gate of a city where they made business deals and decided legal matters. This is where they did business, at the gates of the city. Tamar's veil prevented Judah from identifying her. And he certainly would not expect to find his daughter-in-law dressed like a temple prostitute. And Judah solicited her services and they agreed the price would be a goat. Of course, Judah didn't have a goat with him. He would have to send one back to her. However, Tamar knew better than to trust Judah's promise. Before agreeing to sleep with him, she demanded a deposit. Something of value that she could hold until he returned with payment. So he asked for two items. Judah's signet, which was a, uh, a bronze stamp, which normally they would have held, um, had been on a cord around their neck. A stamp which they would have done business with. Business transactions would have been sealed with this um, signet. And his staff, which would have been a very ornate uh, ornately carved staff, utterly unique to Judah, a very personal possession. In today's terms, then maybe we could, it could be in line with asking someone for their driving license or for their passport, that sort of thing. Anyway, Judah agreed to this guarantee, giving this guarantee. And a few days later, Judah fulfilled his promise, which was unlike Judah. He fulfilled his promise and he sent the goat by the way of a servant. But the mysterious prostitute was nowhere to be found. Tamar had put back on her widow's garments and returned home, leaving Judah's messenger no way of finding her. He asked around the town where he might find the the temple prostitute who sat at the gate, but they said there has been no temple prostitute here. So when this was reported to Judah, rather than embarrass himself and risk becoming the butt of the town jokes, he decided to let the matter go. He will return home after the festival, order a replacement signet, carve a new staff, and forget the whole thing happened. Anyway, three months passed, and Judah's life returned to business as usual, while Tamar kept to herself. Then the news reached Judah. His daughter-in-law had played the prostitute, and she was pregnant. This is an interesting part of the story. Judah burns with righteous indignation against the sin of another while conveniently forgetting his own wrongdoings. He said, my daughter-in-law has shamed my family. Let her be tried publicly and burned alive for her sin. How righteous Judah must have felt. How his neighbours must have sympathised with this pillar of the community as he endured the disgrace brought upon his house by Tamar. How utterly proper for him to defend his good name against the shame of his daughter-in-law's sin. Remember, this is the same Judah who plotted to kill his brother Joseph, 
This is the, the same Judah who sold his brother into slavery because killing him didn't yield a profit. This is the same Judah who broke his father's heart and let him mourn the death of his son for years. The same Judah who promised to take care of his daughter-in-law, never intending to keep his word and forced her into prostitution to avoid poverty. We know something about Judah that his community didn't. Tamar possessed evidence of Judah's secret sin. Meanwhile, Tamar remained silent. And so we come to the day of her execution. Men arrived at her home, and as things went in those times, someone would have bound her hands together. They would have shaved her head. And then a mob would have dragged her through the streets to the place of execution. But before any of that could take place, she sent a messenger to Judah. And the message was simple. I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. Please examine and see who this signet ring and cords and staff belongs to. Tamar's plan worked perfectly. By waiting until the last moment, she left Judah nowhere to hide. By this time, a crowd had gathered to see Tamar burn for her sin. Judah would be forced to call off the execution and dismiss the charges. In addition, he would be forced to explain his decision. A false allegation of this sort was not a casual matter. They soon had their answer. Judah had promised to care for his widowed daughter-in-law, yet he never intended to follow through. Judah had used the body of a prostitute in secret, yet he publicly condemned his daughter-in-law for behaving like one. To keep herself from becoming destitute, Tamar had to trick Judah into fulfilling his promise. This whole drama, as strange as it is, finally brought Judah to a turning point in his life. He could no longer hide behind his pillar of the community persona. He had been exposed as a hypocrite, as an idolater, as a swindler, and as a liar. And he admitted as much to the community who gathered to burn Tamar as a prostitute. His public confession was straight to the point. She is more righteous than I. Even in, even the bizarre lengths to which his daughter-in-law went to secure her future didn't diminish the fact that her actions were more righteous than his. Out of the five women of grace that we have looked at over these past few weeks, Tamar, I believe, demonstrates the grace of God to the greatest extent. On reading her story and going into detail like I had done today, I wanted to do that because this is a woman that, that we don't know about. We've only got this one chapter and a couple of more mentions uh, in, in Scripture. We don't know an awful lot about her. But her story is a, it's one of those Old Testament stories that you read and you think, goodness gracious. But reading the story, we see that out of the mess of her life, and you, you've got to agree with me, this is a mess, isn't it? Her life was in a mess. It was probably worse than our modern day soap operas. But out of her, the mess of her life, was God brings victory. Out of her life, out of the mess that she was in, 
God brings victory and he can do it for you. He can do it for us. No matter your past, no matter your history, no matter how much you have messed up, by the grace of God, you can rise above and be all that God has destined, all that God has planned you to be. Tamar could have looked at her life and thought, well, she would have looked at her life and my life is a mess. But out of her life and out of the decision and the situation comes victory. Never let your past dictate your future. You can rise above with the grace of God. Most of us fall and most of us do a good job of messing up our lives. But God doesn't see the mess. He sees the solution. He sees your life rising out of the ashes of your past and into the future with him. Why did God allow these five women to be in the line of Jesus? I believe it was intentional. Of course it was. It is a clear demonstration of a number of things. Firstly, that without Christ in our lives, we make a mess. And usually, it's a big mess. And this mess has caused us to be separated from God. And this is called sin. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to deal with that sin and save us from its results, namely death. Jesus came to set us free from it and to give us life to the full. That is why I say to you today to never let your past detect, dictate your, fu- your future. You can rise above with the grace of God. And with the inclusion of these women in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we can see that God brings healing. God breaks into our lives. God um, brings us through and deals with the sin in our lives. Secondly, uh, we can see why these women are in the line of Jesus. Four of these women were not Jewish, but they were foreigners. And they are a clear demonstration of the grace of God and his plan that all are included. Jew and Gentile. Paul, as we know, later on advances the gospel of Christ throughout the world teaching the message that Jesus Christ and his salvation is not just for the Jewish nation, but it is for Jew and for Gentile. And he campaigns, and you know, that Paul champions the fact that all can come to Christ. But we see here with the inclusion of the four women a clear message and foretaste of what was to come. We are all accepted. In fact, you are accepted, forgiven, you are chosen by God. Never let your past detect, dictate your future. You can rise above with the grace of God. And thirdly, the inclusion of these five women clearly demonstrates that it doesn't matter what you have done, God can use you. The work of the Lord, the ministry of the church, isn't limited to the select righteous few. The work of the church is to be done by us all. We need to put aside the myth that Christian ministry can only be done by the chosen few. We are the church. You are the church. We are the church. 
And no matter our background, as long as we have given our lives to Christ and asked forgiveness for our sins, we have a powerful future in him. Remember that we are a new creation. And so that is why you should never let your past dictate your future. That you can rise above with the grace of God. Tamar could have stayed in her father's house and wallowed in her misfortune, but she didn't. She was determined to rise above her situation and press on. Now, we are not told of Tamar's relationship with God. There is no mention of her speaking to God. There is no mention of her and God. And the evidence of Scripture and the fact that she was a Canaanite suggests that she didn't have a relationship with God. Yet we can still apply her determination. She didn't accept her situation. She didn't wallow in self-pity. She found a way out. The way she did it was very unorthodox and one that cannot be condoned. Yet God uses her determination, her situation, and through it we see the amazing grace of God. You know, when you look at the lineage of Jesus Christ and these five women, you can see the heart of God. That no matter your background, no matter what you have done, God welcomes you and wants to use you to fulfill his plans and purposes. And that this is not being reserved for those that are righteous enough. The grace of God is greater than all we have done. And his grace catapults us to an amazing life with him. Through God, sending his son into the world and dying for our sins, we can receive God's grace. Through forgiveness, we overcome our past. Sin has been dealt with on the cross and we can live in full confidence of the fact that God loves us no matter what. When God breaks into your life, he turns it around and he makes a difference. Tamar changed her situation. God breaks in and brings victory. And through her son, Perez, new life is brought into her line, into the line of David and of Jesus Christ. And something that we have seen in all these women is that God breaks in. Will you allow God to break in to your life today? Will you allow the power of God to break the past that has a hold on you? Will you allow God to make a difference? He can. He will. And he does. Put your life into his hands. Put your past away. Put your trust in him. Put your faith in him and you will be amazed at the grace of God and the future that you have in him. To finish with, let's watch this video of lives changed by the grace of God. Of people who can who have seen their past does not need to dictate their future. That they 
can and have risen above their situations by the grace of God. And see how the grace of God turns lives around. for listening to this podcast from Delancey Elim Church. For more podcasts, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk.